This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I was traveling last week, and as I go through security, I'm waiting on my bag to be scanned, and I catch this strong whiff of Purell. (laughs) And it reminded me to pull mine out because there's something about all this stuff going in and out of bins that really grosses me out. But then I realized mine wasn't on me. So I looked at the end of the moving belt, and I saw there was a dispenser. I walk over, and I put some of that magic on my hands. (laughs) Ten feet after that, there was another dispenser. Suddenly, I started noticing these things everywhere. I could have gone swimming in all the hand sanitizer available to me. It's something so present in our lives, my son just calls it hand sand. Hand sand. I hope that takes off. (laughs) Me too. And it made me wonder, how did hand sanitizer become such a thing? And it turns out it goes all the way back to this woman named Goldie Lippman, who worked at a rubber plant in the 40s. At the time, workers would use benzene to get carbon off their hands, which is super harsh. So Goldie and her husband Jerry invented a more gentle, waterless cleaner. It's this classic startup story. They lived in their parents' attic. They mixed up test batches in the laundry machine. And then they packaged it in pickle jars. I think I've seen that in Brooklyn. That's right. So artisanal. (laughs) I know, but then they tried to sell the stuff, and it didn't go so well. How come? Well, no one wanted to try this goopy stuff, you know? Uh (laughs) So Jerry came up with a sales trick. Just before a meeting, he squirt a little dab on his palm. Then when someone would shake his hand, they'd get startled because who wants to feel this cold, wet glob in a handshake? (laughs) That's so gross. It's pretty gross, I know. But as they rubbed it to get it off, the factory stains would vanish from inside their palms. Which I guess is pretty smart. It's genius, I think. And so this is the proto-Purell. And today, hand sanitizers are everywhere. But looking at all the hand sand around us, it got me wondering, are we being overprotective? How clean should we be? And that's the question we're tackling on today's Part-Time Genius. Hey there, podcast listeners. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader, and you're listening to Part-Time Genius. Now, today, I can barely recognize Mangesh because he's currently wrapped in plastic wrap from the office kitchen, and he reeks of hand sanitizer. (laughs) Did I use too much? I mean, maybe a little. Well, I know Purell is more your thing, but ever since doing all this research on germs this week... 
I'm thinking of making it my signature scent. Like how Prince always smelled like lavender. I can't say that I was aware of this. <laughs> yeah, he used to smell like heavy, heavy lavender. And his friends used to say that they could smell his presence like a full minute before he entered the room. So you'd be sitting there and you'd feel this hit of lavender and then, oh, <laughs> like you'd just appear like an angel. Anyway, after this week, I'm thinking of doing that with Purell. I think that's a uh, that's a brilliant plan, Mango. But you know what's interesting? And I realize we're going deep on hand sanitizer before this episode even starts. But one of the things customers always indicate is a preference for unscented sanitizers. But when hand sanitizer companies came out with more a few years ago, not only did customers not buy the fragrance-free versions, but there was concern in the health community that people weren't applying enough of it to really kill the germs. Well, I'm pretty sure I used enough of it. (laughs) I would agree with that. But speaking of our research this week, we were reminded yet again that science is weird because it feels like we're always reading these contradictory reports. It's healthy to drink wine one week, then it's not healthy to drink wine. It's healthy to drink coffee. It's not healthy to Mm -hmm. drink coffee. You know, it turns out it's not healthy to smoke a bucket full of cigarettes. It, that That is how they sell cigarettes now today still. So. Yeah, you want to get them by the tub. That's the super cool thing to do. <laughs> and it feels like studies on germs are the same way. I mean, we know it's good to be clean, but we also hear reports that tell us to quit trying to kill every germ out there. Speaking of which, before we fully dive into this, I know we can both be a little germaphobic, Mango, but... What's one thing you do as a germaphobe that you'd be embarrassed to admit? I know for me, it's that as soon as I walk into a hotel room, I look for the free shower cap in the bathroom or the plastic bag in the ice bucket to slip over the remote control. (laughs) So like a remote control condom? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love it. So we've known each other for almost 20 years now, and I'm not sure you know this, but... I won't take a sip out of a drink someone else has been drinking from. What? I know. And it's not just germaphobic. It's cultural. Like, in India, the tap water is undrinkable. So families tend to keep big glass bottles filled with purified water on tables. They're communal. And they're just filled and ready to drink from. So as a four-year-old, you learn to pour water from one or two inches above your mouth. So you're never actually touching your lips to it. And it's all because you don't want to spread germs. Like, if you've touched your lips to it, then you've ruined it for everyone else. But... And this is the weird part, and it's hard for me to say out loud, but even if my wife sees me drinking a bottle of root beer and just takes a swig, I can't drink it. Ouch. Like, I really can't drink it. I have to force myself. And so that's my big secret. Like, my sister and I both, it's this weird mixture of, like, Indian politeness and germaphobeness and sort of where those things Venn diagram. I think this is really the kind of thing you shouldn't admit, not because it's that (laughs) embarrassing, but because friends love to mess with you on things like this. It's Mm -hmm. like when friends find out that I can't stand for my nose to be touched, it makes me dizzy. And then they just think it's so funny to walk up and tap me right on the nose. (laughs) Button nose. That's right. Now, we also wanted our podcast listeners to share some of their more embarrassing germaphobic moments on Facebook. So if you're up for sharing, contribute your story to our Facebook page and We'll be mailing out a big and ridiculous prize to our favorite three stories. What, what What's the prize again? Oh, I can't tell you. It's going to be huge. So big. Can't wait. <laughs> but let's talk about this recent cover story in New Scientist. You know this is one of my favorite magazines. I mean, honestly, how many times a day do I mention my love of New Scientist conservatively? Maybe uh, 400. Well, I'd say at least, yeah. <laughs> so Penny Sarche, a biomedical news editor for New Scientist, which we've established I love, mm-hmm. and who's going to be joining us a little later today, wrote a story titled Germ Warfare. And in it, she talks about this struggle of trying to figure out how clean is too clean, because we know good hygiene helps prevent infection and the spread of disease, but we also know there are definitely good bacteria that keep us well. But let's back up a little bit. 
So in the late 80s and early 90s, many researchers really started to get behind the theory that kids were developing allergies later because they were avoiding so many infections early in life. And they had plenty of evidence to point to. Like kids are less likely to develop allergies or asthma if they grow up on a farm or grew up with a dog. Or if their parents wash dishes by hand. I mean, we're a dishwasher family, so my kids are screwed. Definitely us too. But, oh, here's a really gross one. Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. You you, you might want to gargle a little more Purell before I read this. So so Sarche says, uh, a 2014 paper that found that children are less likely to develop precursors to asthma if in their first year they're exposed to particles from cats, mice, and cockroaches. <laughs> it makes you wonder if they'll eventually develop a powder made of cat hair, mice tails, and cockroach faces that you sprinkle on your kid at night. <laughs> cockroach faces. Yeah, I don't know why it has to be faces, but it just seemed all of it was gross. So. I can't even imagine that. Actually, I read this piece in the LA Times about Amish families and their homes because the kids tend to have considerably less asthma. And scientists actually took dust from regular homes and then dust from Amish households and when they sprinkled the Amish dust in front of mice's noses, it tended to protect the mice's airways from allergens, which oh, wow. is so crazy. So Amish dust, it's like a new business idea. We are going to be so rich. <laughs> Actually, do you know who was really dirty and probably didn't have much asthma? <laughs> Who's that? I can't <laughs> wait for the answer on this one. <laughs> what a setup, right? For some reason, I got stuck in a rabbit hole about royalty, and according to The Economist, Kings from France and England in the 1500s and 1600s were the dirtiest. Like, they believed hot water was the devil and that it could open up your pores and let all sorts of illness in. So here are a few stories I found. Like, Francis Henry IV famously stunk of, quote, sweat, stables, feet, and garlic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Louis VIII didn't have his first bath until he was seven. Oh, God. <laughs> Versailles, for all the glamorous laboratories, like, washing with water wasn't even a concern. And England's James I never bathed. He only washed his fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the tips. That is so gross. But unfortunately, being healthy and living forever isn't as simple as just saying, okay, let's be dirtier. But before we dig into that, how about we break for a quiz? Sounds smart. Domingo, who do we have on the line to play today? So we've got two lab scientists. Their names are Bertha and Umesh. And Umesh is a special guest. He's your dad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Umesh, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, Umesh was a chemical engineer who worked on several agriculture products over the years. But I heard that you actually first got interested in chemistry and experiments by baking bread with your dad as a kid in India. Is this true or is, is Mango just making stuff up as usual? He used to make wheat flour, and we had to modify it with gluten and other things to make it sure it rose and reacted with the yeast. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really neat. What a great way to be introduced to the sciences. So, And our second guest, uh, Bertha, is at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Bertha, welcome to the show. Hey, Bertha. Hi. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about what you do at uh, UAB. So I'm a genetic epidemiologist, and um, that does not mean that I study skin <laughs> diseases. I uh, I study genetics and um, type 2 diabetes and obesity and cardiovascular disease and try and figure out what environmental exposures can change some of our genetic outcomes. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, we do the same thing, but Mango and I are both really into that. Yeah, kind of just experts. on the side. Yeah, just on the side. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of on the side, I understand that when you first got into the field, you weren't 
quite making enough money to make ends meet so you would ballroom dance to bring in additional money. Is this true? I did. I am responsible for many a wedding first dance choreography. Oh, Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, very cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, cool. Well, best the best science is very collaborative science, so we've decided to let you two team up for this quiz. Now, what are we playing, Mango? We're playing a game called Clean Sweep. Mm, okay. All right. Now, normally we would try to make some sort of tangential connection, like being lab scientists. You're very good at sanitizing things. But we want to be honest with you here. We just found a lot of words that rhymed <laughs> with clean and turned them into quiz questions. <laughs> so this is how it works. We're going to give you a clue. And then you say the word clean before the example. So, God, this is so stupid, Mango. You're the best at these awful quizzes. (laughs) All right, so give us a sample, Mango. So, the reason we wear costumes on October 31st. You would say clean clean. Halloween, Mm -hmm. right? Or uh, Elizabeth II's title in England, you might say clean clean. Queen, right? <laughs> All right, you guys, you guys got it. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so here we go. We're going to let you guys go one at a time, but you're working together. And if one of you doesn't get it, you can toss it to the other person. So, Bertha, we will start with you. Question number one: A stretched-out car that glamorous people get to drive in. Ooh, uh, clean limousine. Well Yay. done, one for one. Umesh, an underwater vessel the Beatles sang about. Clean submarine. You got it. All right, Bertha, a jingle jangle hand instrument Bob Dylan asks a man to play in the song. Oh, my goodness. I punt. And my dad, as a backup singer in a Rolling Stones band in college, (laughs) might know this. All right, let's hear it. (laughs) It's a jingle jangle hand instrument. It would be a clean tambourine. That's okay. We only have to get six (laughs) out of it. Clean tambourine. All right. Umesh, this is back to you. The thing you mix with ginger ale in a Shirley Temple. Clean grenadine. Well done. Oh, nice help there, Bertha. Okay, yeah. this one's back to you. All right, a character with adamantium claws from the X-Men. It's also the University of Michigan mascot. Dean Wolverine. Yes, well done. <laughs> you had us on the edge of our seats. That's right, you did. We're just going to throw them out let either one of you answer. Here we go. Number, number six. You guys have gotten five out of six, so you're in good shape. A colorful Easter candy the Easter bunny might leave for you. A colorful candy the Easter bunny might leave for you. A clean jelly bean. You got it, Bertha. Well done. All right, question number seven, two left. A method of execution that arose during the French Revolution, the last time one was used was in France in 1977. Clean guillotine. You got it. Nice job. Last one. All right. Former star of Two and a Half Men, brother to Emilio Estevez. Ooh, oh gosh. He's uh, got a dad named Martin. Um, oh, Clean Sheen. Yes, Clean <laughs> Charlie Sheen, which <laughs> I don't think really exists. So. <laughs> it's a mythical, wow. mythical creature. So how many, did they, uh, how many did they get right, Mango? So they got seven out of eight, and of course that means they win the big prize, which is... A note to your mom or your boss written from us, which is, you know, finally the validation you've been looking for. Wow, what a great prize. Congratulations, guys. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. 
This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So we're talking about the question, how clean is too clean? And before the break, we were discussing how a little more dirt in our lives might be a key to healthier living. But for anyone who heard that and decided to start licking the floor, <laughs> pull yourself together, it's a little more complicated than that. Although it is a little of that, right? Like, one of the things I'm fascinated by is that we ingest 50 to 60 milligrams of soil a day. And that little bit of dirt might be helping us be healthier. Like, scientists also think playing, quote, social sports can help. And, Will, I know we like to have debates about what a sport is. Mm -hmm. Like, is badminton really a sport? Please don't get me started on this. I know you have some super strong feelings. But what's important here is where we're getting our daily bacteria from could actually play a big role in our health. Right. I mean, the reality is some bacteria are good, some are bad. So it's more about understanding our dun -dun -dun. microbiome. <laughs> now, you're probably wondering what a microbiome is. And for the super condensed version, let's turn to our microbiome correspondent. Oh, wait, that's you. You're, you're our microbiome correspondent, Mango. <laughs> Congratulations. All right. Okay, talk to me. Such an honor. Uh, I can talk microbiomes, so let's step back a second. We humans like to think of ourselves as individuals, right? Like, we've got big egos. But the truth is, there are as many non-human cells in our body as human cells. And because they're all working with us, playing a vital role in our body's success, in some ways it's more important to think of your body like a super organism. Almost like a colony of ants all working together, or even a slime mold, like all pulling in one direction. Ugh. I know, it's gross, right? But that analogy doesn't even go far enough. In fact, your body's more like a rainforest. And each of the thousands of bacterial species inside you is precisely built for a specific environment. Like, the bacteria in your stomach would die if it moved to your small intestine, and the small intestine stuff would struggle if it was placed in the big intestine. Like, it's actually that complicated. As one of my science writer friends told me, humans are more closely related to sea squirts 
then these microbacteria are to one another. Oh, wow. Yeah, and another way to think about how diverse your body is is to, like, take a look at your left hand and your right hand. Your hands feel like they should be the same, right? Yeah. But of the thousands of bacteria on there, your left hand and right hand might only share one in six microbial species. Like, how bizarre is that? That is pretty crazy. Right. So scientists are isolating these microbes and understanding their superpowers. They're also considering how to hack the bacteria and use it to human advantage. Like, in Sweden, doctors at a hospital noticed that their pneumonia patients were getting infections from feeding tubes. Hmm. And the patients were having a harsh reaction to the antibacterial sprays. So the doctors looked at this bacteria in your saliva called lactobacillus plantarum. Mm -hmm. And it's this probiotic that helps you break down food in your saliva. And when they spread the culture inside their patients' mouths and on the feeding tubes, it actually stopped the infections. Like, no side effects. That's incredible. So scientists have been using the Human Microbiome Project to crack the code and map out all of our microbiota. Well, one crazy thing about microbiomes is that scientists used to think that how babies were born might affect it. Like C-sections in particular, they thought might be creating a different type and perhaps less healthy baby than straight vaginal deliveries. Hmm. But it turns out that isn't true. I mean, it's true initially, but by six weeks, the differences aren't even detectable, which is pretty crazy because kids aren't crawling around then, but the colonies just grow so fast in the mouth and on the skin and in the gut that they don't need that much exposure to grow these distinct colonies all over their bodies. I know. I think of toddlers being dirty, but not really babies. Dirty babies. So. <laughs> but the lesson is, in general, it's healthiest to have a wider range of microbes. So it's not quite true to say that getting more infections as a child makes us healthier later. It's really the exposure to different bacteria and almost exclusively exposure at a very early age. I mean, we're talking before the age of three. Huh. That's when it's pretty much set. I mean, you know, as my mom used to say, once your microbiome is set, your microbiome is set. <laughs> She's right. You got to set in, forget it. Like uh, a perm. Oh, like a perm. Uh, yeah, or a permanent, as my grandfather would say. People still get perms? Is, I, that, a, is that a thing? <laughs> they will now. So that means the bad news for all those who were excited to start skipping your chores and stop washing your hands and bathing. It doesn't mean you should stop doing any of those things. Well, one sure. I mean, I've read a bunch of these reports, and they all said the same thing. Don't make your bed. What? And can I tell you one thing? Sure. I hate this advice so much. Like, making my bed is the one thing I do. It makes my room look orderly. But even though I hate saying this, an unmade bed is healthier because it exposes the dust mites in your bed sheets to sunlight and fresh air, which, you know, kills them off and helps your allergies. Oh, man, the kids are going to really love this episode. So, <laughs> so don't bother making your bed. I'm, I'm behind that. But where should we be cutting back? Now, here are a few places. Antibacterial soaps. I mean, we've been seeing for a couple of decades now that when we kill too much of the good bacteria, the undesirable bacteria are developing resistance to antibiotics, which could be dangerous. Also, cleaning products. Indoor pollution from all the cleaning supplies and chemicals in them. The most harmful ones are often the ones being used just to produce a good smell. So instead, you should clean with things like vinegar and other products that you'd feel comfortable cooking with. Yeah, so I was actually looking into this because my family tries to use mostly organic cleaning products for our kids' sake. And when I was Googling what you can do to reduce the chemical scents in your home, one of the things that comes up is a list of recommendations from NASA. From NASA? Yeah, I just learned this. But every year, NASA issues a list of the best plants to help purify your home. Huh. And they've been doing clear air studies since the 80s because the agency wants to know what's the best way to clean the air in space stations. So this list of preferred plants has things like the peace lily, which can eliminate traces of formaldehyde and benzene and ammonia, but 
it's also toxic to dogs, which is kind of a big trade-off, right? Like, peace dogs between clear air and this plant, it's all plant. But but the crazier thing to me is this recommendation on the ideal number of plants you should have in your house. And can you guess what it is? I don't know, four? (laughs) It's one plant per 100 square feet. Like, I live in a tiny, super small apartment with a wife and two kids, and now I have to share it with a tiny forest? Like, just to breathe the air. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. That's uh... <laughs> So speaking of our homes and finding that perfect balance of clean, Penny Sarchet describes a science-approved hygiene sweet spot. Hmm. So that is, you're not looking to completely sterilize your home. It's more about focusing on getting rid of harmful bacteria in places this bacteria is most likely to be in places we come into contact with, so kitchen surfaces, doorknobs, bathroom light switches. But as long as we're talking about Penny, what do you say we get her on the phone and give her a little quiz? That sounds great. All right, so we've been talking about new scientists a lot and how much we love new scientists, and you know how excited I am, Mango, because <laughs> we have a biomedical news editor joining us today, Penny Sarchet. She's going to uh, talk to us about her article and a few other questions that we have, but also to play one of your ridiculous games. She may uh, regret this visit. <laughs> What's the game we're going to be playing? It's in just called a minute? Not So Dirty Words. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out more about that in a bit, but uh, Penny, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi. Thank you so much for writing the story and for joining us. I I do have to start out by asking you about this quote that, to be honest, kind of made me feel nauseous when I read it. So you were talking about a 2014 paper that found that children are less likely to develop asthma or precursors to asthma, I guess you said, in their first year if they're exposed to particles from cats, mice, and cockroaches. I mean, what, what what do we do about this, Penny? grim, isn't it? I think the difficult thing is you can measure these things and find the associations, but working out like the causation and what that actually means, like is a cockroach particle good for a child, (laughs) is an entirely different experiment and one that you're not ever going to do. So I wouldn't aim to have a filthy home, but I think the best way to see that kind of thing is more an indication that it's not as simple as let's just be dirty or let's just be clean. And I think some of the further research that I did after coming across that paper kind of suggested that these things like the fact that you were exposed to cat hair also meant you were probably exposed to other things related to the cat. So it might not be in the cat hair or even the cat feces that you may have come into contact with. It's the fact that the cat might have been bringing soil into your home, for example, and perhaps some of the bacteria in soil are really good for preventing asthma in young infants, but it's just, it came out as this quite disgusting correlation in the study. Yeah, I'm glad to know that it's not necessarily the cat feces that you said, that's that's like the key. (laughs) So, uh, Penny, I thought you did a really nice job of describing a clean sweet spot in your article, and I I was Mm -hmm. curious if you could just describe that for our listeners a little bit. Yeah. This is quite helpful for me too. Um, There's basically almost like a priority system. So you should really focus on being clean um, at the most important um, sites and places in your home and at the most important times. And that stops you from spreading infection and getting sick, but it also means you're not spending your entire life needlessly cleaning your home from top to bottom. Uh So 
the places we're talking about are, you know, certainly kitchen surfaces and, and cooking, but also in touch points, so um, light switches, doorknobs, like taps as well, and um, just things that you touch a lot and you might pass things on to who you're living with. And then in terms of times, it's obviously when you go to the bathroom and when you're cooking and when you're eating, but also if someone's sick in the house, you might want to sort of amp up how clean you are and how often you clean down these touch points. Because if, if someone in your family has norovirus and is throwing up regularly, you're obviously at a much higher risk of spreading things around the home and the family than, say, if you know, you've got a clean bill of health and, right. and no one's obviously ill. The whole study around the microbiome is just so fascinating, and it feels like we're still so early in understanding mm-hmm. the microbiome. What, what kinds of things are you guys thinking about at New Scientist right now or things you think we'll be able to better treat as we, as we better understand the microbiome? Well, so it's so difficult to know because there's just endless conditions that seem to be linked in some way to the microbiome, um, like everything from Alzheimer's to obesity. And we're still really only sort of unraveling those links. And we're still quite a long way from working out how usefully we can use this. Um, But that hasn't stopped lots of people from already developing like sprays and treatments and all kinds of things you can buy online to kind of change the bacteria on your skin or in your gut. And, And we don't really know whether those work yet. And if so, how? There are a few things we know. So in some places, fecal transplant, so that really is just a transplant of poo, mm-hmm. is allowed or um, has been approved as a treatment um, for C. difficile, which is a bacterial infection that is really difficult to get rid of once you've got it. So that's kind of that's quite a landmark in that respect, that it's actually being used as a treatment there. But there are people out there who are just going ahead and doing transplants of poo themselves in an unregulated way. And from some kinds of studies like this, there are kind of early anecdotes and warning signs that this is obviously much more complex than we really know yet because there's so many species of bacteria and we don't know what they're doing. Um, So there's some evidence that maybe if you were to receive a transplant from someone who is obese, that might actually make you more likely to become obese. And these kinds of interesting effects that start happening when you play around with your microbiome. So, yeah, it's really early days. And the other thing we don't really know is beyond something drastic like a fecal transplant, can you really even change your microbiome beyond uh, beyond the age of about three, maybe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You obviously um, go through a lot of changes this first few years of life, but once your body has been colonized by whichever bacteria come on in, can you really kind of shift it much more in a healthier or less healthy direction? We, we don't really know that yet. You know, one thing I was curious curious about was whether your behavior has changed since working on this article. Like, when was the last time you washed your hands? Yeah, um, I'm still a fan of washing my hands. I did go <laughs> to the toilet before speaking to you, so they're very clean right now. But yeah, hand washing, I haven't changed. I was hoping actually for an excuse to wash my hands less, being a clean freak. But actually speaking to the food hygiene and home hygiene experts who were telling me about how many people get food poisoning in their homes every year, that actually gave me no excuse to cut back at all. But we've got a garden flat, so we're in and out all the time with bikes and plants and things. And so much of um, what I was speaking to some of the people about soil and dirt and just being outside, I'm a lot more relaxed now if we kind of walk soil in, just sweep it off, and no need to kind of really thoroughly clean the floor or anything like that. Uh-huh. Um, 
I think the only thing there that would be really worrying was if we had a baby that was crawling around and licking the floor. If there were to do, that would be slightly more worrying, but uh, that's not what I do. All right. Well, thank you for talking about uh, how to be clean, and we want to put you to the test if you're willing to stick around and play a game of, what did you say the game was called, Yeah. Mina? It's called Not So Dirty Words, and it's a game we expressly wrote for you since you're a clean expert. Here's how it works. We're going to take one word that sounds dirty and give you two definitions, and all you have to do is tell us which one is the real one. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, here we go. Word number one is formication. That's not with an N, but an M as in Michael. Formication, does it mean A, a sensation like insects crawling on your skin, or B, the word veterinarians use for the tartar buildup on a goat's teeth? Formication. Uh that's a tough one. I think I'm going to go with formication, insects, because of ants, maybe. You yeah. are absolutely right. Absolutely right. Wow. <laughs> She's all an, also an insects expert. All right. This is a good one. Number two. This is, where did you find these, Mango? This is <laughs> ridiculous. They're okay. so dumb. All right. Number two. Did you make this up? Is this a real thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Turtus Maximus. Okay. Is Turtus Maximus a broad shield volcano that forms in the middle of oceanic plates or the Latin name for the Tibetan blackbird found in the Himalayas and Pakistan. Turtus Maximus. Is it a volcano or a blackbird? Oh, I, I like to think if it was a bird, it would sound more familiar, although I can't remember what a blackbird is right now. I'm going to go with the volcano. Oh. oh it's, it's, it's actually the blackbird. Uh, it, it's a uh, member of the thrush family. Oh, of course. If we had just given her that hint <laughs> that it was a member of the thrush family. Yeah, then I would have been fine. She would have nailed it. So, number three, arsol, spelled A-R-S-O-L-E. <laughs> Is arsol A, a Hawaiian term for meat harvested from the tender coconut, or B, a ring-shaped, arsenic-based, organic compound? Is it a word for the meat harvested from the tender coconut or a ring-shaped, arsenic-based, organic compound? I can't tell if it's a red herring or not, but <laughs> arsenic, surely. Yes, you're yeah, absolutely you're right. right. Well done. Wow, hey. she's two for three. Okay, <laughs> let's do uh, – I'm just having too much fun. Let's, let's keep going. All right, the next one, fartlek. F-A-R-T-L-E-K. You can use these words in your articles in the future, by the way, Penny. You have our permission. I'm writing them down, yeah. They're good ones. All right. Is a fartlek uh, a Swedish method for training distance runners by varying pace and terrain, or B, a small species of antelope closely related to the dick-dick? Uh, uh, I'm going to go with antelope. Oh, the Fartlek right. and Dictic sound like they should be related. Right. <laughs> yeah, they should. They I sound know, like friends. but it's actually a Swedish distance training. But she needs to get three correct to uh, to win the big prize. So let's do one more. Sack butt. S a c k hyphen butt. All right. I know this one. You do. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Is it a the 14th century ancestor of the modern trombone, sometimes called a sag butt, or b a <laughs> Viking table used for formal banquets? God. It is definitely a trombone. Well done. Yay. You did it. What, what, what has she won, Mango? Well, uh, she's eligible for our top prize, which is our endless admiration. Oh, my gosh. So. Congratulations, Yay. Penny. Well, Penny, keep up the great work. We remain huge fans of New Scientists. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope to talk to you again. Thanks very much. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Bye-bye. 
What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So before the break, Penny Sarchet was chatting about the hygiene sweet spot. That is keeping your house clean, but not too clean. It's kind of a Goldilocks approach. Exactly. Since I wanted to know what to watch out for, I got curious about the dirtiest places. And here are a few things I found. So at home, the walls around your toilet. You know, you just kind of imagine it's the toilet, but it's actually <laughs> the walls around oh. your toilet. The kitchen sponge, the kitchen sink drain, the cutting board is a really nasty one. That toothbrush cup where everybody keeps their toothbrushes. So some of these places that you don't immediately think about, and one of the huge ones, the remote control. <laughs> now, in hotels, two of the nastiest places are the remote control, which, of course, you'll no longer have to deal with thanks to our patented part-time genius remote control condoms. <laughs> you should see these on shelf soon. And the bedside lamp switch. I never would have guessed the lamp switch. Me either. So what about airplanes? What do you think is consistently the dirtiest place on a plane? That uh, twisty thing you put to turn to put on the air? Or maybe the, the drinks page of the airline magazine? That's a, uh, that's a pretty specific page there, Mango. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's not clean, but the number one dirtiest thing in some studies by surprisingly significant margin seems to be the tray table. What? Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> if you think about it, people are using it constantly, sure. folding it up, and it may not get clean. Now, let's get back to the idea of good bacteria. This is something we all hear more and more about these days because of probiotics, the 400 varieties of yogurt in the grocery store, 
As a side note here, recently I saw a list of the ways you can annoy people in your office, and number one <laughs> on that list of ways was to stand behind a coworker with a uh, a cup of that fruit on the bottom yogurt and just stir it up. I mean, that that sound alone. Oh, yuck. Did you make that list? I did make that list. I'm the author of that list. So there's definitely a lot to talk about with probiotics, and that's because the gut flora is really important. And it's important because it keeps you regular, like you don't want to be constipated. Right. But the thousand different bacteria in there also have a direct impact on your brain. And studies have shown strong links between anxiety, depression, even autism, and it's all linked to your gut flora. Wow. But, and here's the important part, what you put in there matters. Like in 2013, the medical journal Gastroenterology published a paper where women ate yogurt twice a day, and the probiotics changed the makeup of their gut flora and actually made them calmer and happier under stress tests. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, speaking of things we eat, it reminded me of what might be too clean. And I've got to tell you, I was 37 years old before I ever washed a banana. A banana? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Why would you wash one? So one of my daughter's friends refused to eat a banana from our house until I washed it because she said, my mom always washes my banana. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're recommending it, I guess we should. But uh, let's answer the question of how clean is too clean. Obviously, you should keep washing those hands and bananas and pay attention to the dirtiest areas of your house, the things we touch a lot, like the light switches and remote controls and cutting boards. But also, what's the best thing you can do to expose yourself to a wider variety of good bacteria? It's to spend more time outside, which, of course, we're recommending from a room with no windows. (laughs) I love it. Speaking of things I love, you know what time it is, Will? Yep, it's time for the Fact Off, where we share all the things we learned this week that we didn't get a chance to mention. But before we do that, we should probably give out our Genius Award. Who do you think deserves that honor today? I think we've got to give it to Miss Goldie Lippman, who came up with the idea of Gojo, the pre-Purell. I agree. I mean, she passed away in the 70s, but we're going to add her to our Hall of Genius and send the company a certificate that they could hang on their office bulletin board. So congratulations, Goldie. I'm for that. But back, uh, back to the Fact Off. Mangesh, as we like to say in the part of North Central Alabama where I grew up, you first. (laughs) So here's a fact for you. There's a guy named Jasper Lawrence who had severe allergies. Like his eyes would swell up to the point where he couldn't see, he had intense trouble breathing, and he decided the only way he could get his body to stop attacking itself was to give it something to attack. So, and this is the part I love. He went to Cameroon. And he intentionally walked around barefoot in areas where people went to the bathroom. Oh, I know. And the reason was to give himself hookworm. And then he started this internet business selling hookworms to relieve people with Crohn's and other autoimmune disorders, which may actually work, but comes with all sorts of FDA and postal service complications. I like to imagine the conversation where he's like, honey, I tried the Flonase. It didn't work. So uh, I'm going to move on to hookworms. <laughs> So there's a psychologist from Cornell, David Pizarro, who studies the notion of disgust. And in one of his experiments, he had students fill out a survey on their political beliefs. And most of them were just filling out surveys in a crowded hallway. But then he relocated a few of the groups next to a hand sanitizer dispenser. And when he did, those groups reportedly came back more conservative. And he found this over and over in studies, whether it was signs about washing hands or sanitizer or the presence of hand wipes. Wherever there was a subtle reminder of physical purity, it made a respondent more conservative than they might have otherwise been. That's crazy. So remember how we inhale 50 to 60 milligrams of dirt a day? Yep. So one of the things I love is that the 
Japanese government has been organizing these things called forest baths. That's what they're called. And forest baths are basically guided tours on de-stressing. A guide will teach you how to break open a twig of sassafras and inhale and appreciate nature and generally be more mindful. And part of it is just reminding people how easy it is to get in nature preserves. Yeah. But I kind of love this idea that if you're going to inhale 50 milligrams of dirt a day, let's pick where that dirt's coming from. Okay, I like that idea too. Now, I've got another one here. IBM processed water. Have you heard of this? So one of the weird things is that instead of using solutions to clean their chips, IBM actually uses this ultra-pure water. That's what it's called. They process their water so many times, over 14 times, that it has no specks of dirt or particles so that it doesn't scratch the chip. But the same thing that makes it great for cleaning also makes it harmful for the body. So like in its truest form, water will leach nutrients toward it from other substances. And so even though it's really, really ultra-pure, it's actually too clean to drink. Huh. Like drinking will actually hurt your body. That's crazy. So there's a great Sean Bradley story that I promise relates. Now this is Sean Bradley, the basketball player? Yeah, and, and so Esquire asked him what it feels like to be seven foot six. And you just generally feel miserable for the guy and his answers. Like, he can't buy normal clothes, he can't buy a regular sleeping bag, he can't <laughs> buy a regular car. I mean, you realize this world is not fit for anyone his size. But the worst thing he said about being that tall is that when you're seven foot six, you're looking down on everything and everything is dirty. Oh. So you're seeing like ceiling fans and tops of fridges and lockers and everything's just gross. And as a short dude, that's not something I'd really ever think about. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that at all. That's it must be really gross. So. <laughs> all right. Pandas. Let's talk about pandas. So uh -huh. pandas seem completely useless, right? Mm hmm. But they have a bacteria in their stomach that can reduce the mass and volume of garbage by 90%, which is great because anytime you don't want to take your trash out, you should be able to rent a panda to squat on your rubbish. <laughs> it feels like another great business idea. I like it. <laughs> so speaking of what's too clean, the Mona Lisa has actually been cleaned too often. And you know when you picture the Mona Lisa, you might remember she has almost non-existent eyebrows and super light lashes. Yeah. But that wasn't always the case. Like she used to have thick brows. And art analysis actually showed that all that hair got thinned and trimmed over the years because the painting's been cleaned too much. Okay, all right, that's a good one. I'm going to give it to you. You win the battle this time, but I'll be back with some wild tangents next time. <laughs> that's it for today's Part-Time Genius. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening to Part-Time Genius. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And because we're a brand new show, if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love it if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Part-Time Genius is produced by some of our favorite geniuses. It's edited by Tristan McNeil, theme song and audio mixing by Noel Brown. Our executive producer is Jerry Rowland. Our research team is Gabe Luzier, Lucas Adams, Autumn whitefield Madrano, Austin Thompson, and Meg Robbins. Jason Hoke is our chief cheerleader. Time 
Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.